Thank you for tuning in to In the Vine Dating Podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our newest segment called Who's in the Vine, released every Monday, where Melissa will be interviewing different guests to talk about the questions you ask. And remember to follow up every Thursday, where we will further discuss any questions or responses you may have. Please enjoy, and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who's in the Vine Dating Podcast. It is your host, Melissa Chavez. And today I am kind of nervous, <laughs> kind of nervous. Um, but I have Denise, Denise. <laughs> and um, I can't wait for you guys to hear the words that are coming that are about to come out of this woman's mouth. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be powerful. Denise. Hello. Hi. How are you feeling? <laughs> um, I'm feeling a whole bunch of mixed emotions today, but not <laughs> nonetheless, I'm just very excited to, you know, just be able to share God's story. It's mm, good. It's good. Okay. So um, we know a little bit about you, right? Based on the things that we know uh, that you've shared on the podcast. And so today, um, you know, I just want, I just want to ask you, like, what do you want to tell us about yourself? <laughs> Um, what and who is Denise? What and who is Denise? That's a great question. Um, and I think the answer that I always give to that is, you know, I'm a wife, I'm a mom. Um, those two are by far the most important things that I could ever do in this world. And everything else that I do is honestly a byproduct of that. And it's because of that. Um, you know, I am involved in a lot of different things. Um, and I normally don't talk about those, but I guess for today's sake, I can, I can get into a little bit yes, of that stuff, but, um, I definitely am on, I'm part of an amazing ministry, um, partnered with a ministry called beauty for ashes. They are absolutely phenomenal women. Um, you know, the CEOs and founders and co-founder Jackie and Adriana and Jackie, are just amazing women that have this vision for women and you know bringing healings to the nation to the families and they do that through their amazing products and ministry and you know pastor Adriana wrote an amazing book not a victim um, that I was able to help her like just you know type up and stuff and I mean it's all her and all Jackie and um, that's one of the things that I am partnered with and I get to do clearly I'm also on in, on the board for <laughs> in the vine so that's also really amazing and phenomenal and, you know, love you guys. And it's been, it's really cool to be able to be a part of such amazing ministries. Um, on top of that, I'm also a volunteer and a parent coach at um, a resource center out in the Antelope Valley. That's one of my biggest, biggest passions. And I get to help women that decided, you know, to keep a baby and just, and, and just need additional help in navigating, okay, what do I do from here on out? And I love that because um, in this center, we don't just say, okay, come here, like keep your child, right? We give them, we equip them with tools of, on how to, and, and are able to just provide them the help that they need. You know, I, we don't just give them a fish. We teach them how to fish. And yeah. I know it's so cliche, but I, that's really what we do. And from there, I actually branched off a little bit and I did create like a devotional because I realized that as I'm able to coach the women, you know, and what to do during their pregnancy, I also realized like they needed a lot of the spiritual maturity that comes along with it. So I did get to create a devotional, um, the spiritually equipped mama. And I do that. Um, I was able to do a Bible study with that and, you know, get some of the girls into the church. Um, I also am a freelance writer. I blog. I have that. I, I did some articles for a, a journal, a Palmdale journal that was out for, for a while out in the Antelope Valley. 
I'm also currently working on a few campaigns um, that I love as well, the whole political realm. And I'm just tied in, into the political arena in the background. And, and yeah, those are just some of the things that I that I do. What is the name of your blog? Oh, it's called Mommy Friend. How can people yes. find that? <laughs> at, they this can go, <laughs> at this very moment, they can go to um, Instagram. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I'm on mommy for, for Instagram. It's mommy friend underscore, um, established or EST 2016. Um, they can find me there or they can find me on Facebook. Um, mommy friend as well. Mommy friend. Um, I think it's like underscore also EST 2016. Okay. Be sure to uh, add the links to the descriptions and all that good stuff. Um, I can't believe this is 2016. That's crazy. Yes. Seven years. Yeah. Dang, <laughs> that's I awesome. know. Yeah, so that's what I do. That's, okay. that's what I do for fun, you know. <laughs> Just uh, and on top of that, you homeschool. Oh yeah, you that's... volunteer at church. You yes. keep us out of jail. Just all these yes. things that I forgot them. about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I'm create right now. Create currently helping the church create you know policies and procedures or. Um, just making sure everything's you know in check with that like you said keeping people out of jail but yeah I'm a home I'm a mom so that means I homeschool I'm homeschooling I'm teacher I'm coach I'm chef I'm um, a mentor to my kids I'm a therapist to my kids I'm everything I have three little ones and so that really just you know keeps me busy keeps you busy <laughs> to say the to least say the least yep Definitely. You know, sometimes I text you and you're like, dude, I'm barely eating. I'm like, Denise, it's 7 p.m. <laughs> at night. What the heck? You're like, I forgot. <laughs> I know. But now I get it. Now I get it. Okay. So um, thank you for sharing all of that wonderful stuff. I was like, um, when we first introduced you, I think it was like the first episode and you were like, I do a little, a little bit of here and there. And I'm just like, if the world only knew, you know? Um, okay. Yeah. So talk about Mike and your marriage with him how was it well I know that you gave your input as far as like his interview and all that but um tell us about that like just tell us about your marriage how's it going in Ohio I know that you guys well by the time this interview airs you'll be back in Cali but yeah it's going for you guys it's been it's been very different than from the first time that we came out um you know God really spoke to us and said um there was just a lot that was going to be happening and it's and now at the end of it um we you and I talked a little bit about it before the the interview is I'm really today it was a day that I really just saw everything come full circle um it's been very treacherous it's been very you know my husband's been working seven days a week 12 plus hours a day it's me and the three girls across the country in a place where it's just us and like I mean me and them like that's it you know and so um, it's been very, 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 um, like it's been very intense, but it's awesome. It's honestly also been very amazing and awesome. And um, I'm always grateful for the opportunities that God gives us because my girls had prayed to come out to Ohio and there was no way, right? Like dad's like, there's no way. And the girls are like, mom, we wanna come back to Ohio. And I'm like, okay, you know what you gotta do? They're like, we have to pray. They prayed and doors opened up miraculously to this day. We, I mean, it's like, it's a God thing. And so just to see their prayers be answered, I think is so encouraging. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it's been amazing. You know, it's, 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 I mean, I can't complain. It's, it's honestly been amazing. 
Um, my husband and I, he's just awesome. Clearly, before I came on the interview, um, I was like, okay, this is what, you know, what we're going to be talking about. How do you feel? <laughs> so just so you guys know, everything I'm touching on, my husband's fully aware. I have his blessing. <laughs> and he's just been amazing about it. But yeah, Mike's the real MVP. Yeah, he really is. Every time you tell him, uh, tell me about some of his responses, I'm like, dude, that guy unmatched <laughs> for sure. I'm like, if I could have an ounce of that man's confidence, like, <laughs> me <bet>. too. <laughs> me too. Uh, um. Okay. So, how long have you guys been together? We've been together since March of 2015. 2015. So we're going. Yeah. So we're going on nine years of marriage on in March of next year. Wow. Yeah, it's been a, it seems like just yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I still remember that wedding day. Like, I, mean, I just, I can't believe two years have passed by. <laughs> like, I'm still 29. What the heck? <laughs> um, I know. Okay, so I know that um, Mike touched on the fact that, you know, his life moves from like, <laughs> it's like progressing, progressing, and all of a sudden, three weeks later, complete shift in this life. Yeah. You know that he kind of um, talked about that wedding that you guys had, which is like, he proposed and three weeks uh, later, you guys are married. Um, how, how was those, how were those three weeks? Uh, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, try putting a wedding together in three weeks. Like that is unheard of. I don't know if anybody's done it ever since I've done it, honestly, because it's just crazy. But yeah, we did it. You know, my brother Henry and Sue were honestly phenomenal. They opened up their home. Um, they were just, as soon as we said we were going to say I do, like they pulled out the red carpet for us. Like my, they, my family, like my brothers, like, you know, people from the church, like they just outdid themselves. Um, you know, we really didn't have finances or I didn't really have finances. My husband, I, we got married really cheap. Like, I think the most expensive thing in my wedding was my dress. And even then, like my husband paid for it. Wow. So he was just amazing about that but yeah I mean we literally pulled it together in three weeks and um you know from decorations and cake and food and renting tables and chairs and music and you know premarital counseling let's not forget that oh you know gosh, and, and, yeah. and honestly that was the reason why it took three weeks was because we had to do premarital counseling okay. and there was no way we could do premarital counseling in a week right so um basically I think that was the reason why it was that time frame wow. um but yeah, you know, obviously my husband and I knew that we were going to do things God's way and, and not be living. I mean, we didn't live together or anything like that. But I mean, he just knew. He knew that he wanted to marry me and he didn't waste any time. Yeah. <laughs> That's something that your mama always says. She, she's like, Mike um, never said this. He's like, but one day he came home and he was like, I think I found the one. And your mama was like, what? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, clearly he's a man with a plan from the very beginning, right? So, yep. That's amazing. Yeah. I love to hear the story all the time. Like, this is just funny. I could just imagine the world and the chaos and all that stuff. I can imagine Sue. Um, I hope one day people get to hear Sue and hear about Sue's story. Sue is, <laughs> she's all things. Yeah. <laughs> some way, she's all things. Um, okay, yeah. so I know that you guys are obviously in a wonderful relationship and godly relationship. And um we love to see it, right? We love to experience like the way that you guys advance together as a kingdom couple and the things that you guys have been able to establish um, in your family and um, just the culture that you've been able to, I think, um, 
established within your household, but I think it's definitely influenced many others. And so, um, but I, and I also know as your friend, right? I get to hear a lot of the in and outs of your life and we get to share a lot of deep revelation and things of that nature. And so I know um, in a very real way that you're a woman of value, high moral standards, you're awesome mother and wife. And I think um, that in a lot of ways you represent the kind of woman that we talk about striving to be here on the podcast, which is why we talk we talk the way that we do about women having standards, men having standards, right? Because we see that it's achievable and it's something that through God, right? Through the help of the Lord is something that can be attained. And so, but I also know that it hasn't been the case all the time, right? I know that it definitely had to be something that's been birthed. And I know that there's been a lot of moments where you yourself have had to humble yourself to, um, to face the mistakes that were done in the past, right? Which I think not a lot of people have been able to come to that place yet. And so can you tell me? And for our listeners, just so you guys know, this is the first time that I get to hear Denise like BC, which means before Christ. Um, so I'm also learning this with you guys. So definitely, I hope I ask all the right questions. Um, tell me a little bit about your past before you came to the Lord. Oh, um, where do I start? <laughs> Uh, what, what part of, of my mess up do you want to hear first? Um, Sorry, I know that that was a very general question. So let me do this. Um, I know that you've shared a little bit about um, your story growing up, right? And how you experienced a very traumatic experience when you were in your teens. And so I know we're going to just dive right into it, but let's start there. Yeah. Okay. So um, I don't really think I've shared this very public. I think this is one of the first times I've actually shared this story once before. And when I did a, a seminar with Beauty for Ashes, you know, Pastor Adriana um, gave me a platform to really just talk about my story. And I think that was the first time and it was a, and it was a right and it was a very uh, controlled environment. Mm -hmm. So I did get to share my story or a bit of my story there. But I think this is the first time that I'm really announcing it to the world. I mean, I'm on a podcast, right? So, yeah. Um, when I was younger, I think I was 16 years old, I was actually raped. Um, and I hate using that word, right? It's, it's, it, but that's what it was. And in, in that rape, you know, I ended up getting pregnant. And through that, um, I mean, it was just so many, so many things that happened. And I felt a certain type of way, fear. Um, I didn't know what to do. I was young. I didn't, you know, obviously, my parents didn't know. And um, I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? And the only thing that I was told to do um, was to have an abortion. And so at that point, you know, I was taken, I was going, I went to a clinic and they were telling me, I'll never forget till this day, um, there was this lady and she said to me, she said, you remind me so much of my son. I can't let you ruin your life. I'm going to give you this paper. And, and it's because at that point, the I was so far along in my pregnancy, I was like, uh, I think I was about 16 weeks. So I was like, what, four months. Um, and so the woman's like, usually they charge, but um, because I don't want you to ruin your life, I'm going to give you this paper to where they're not going to charge you. And um, so she gave me the paper. And it, I mean, there's a lot of little intricate things that happened. But to get to the point, I went down to LA. And it was a two day procedure. Um, and you know, I, and that was a defining moment that really changed the course of my life 
till this day. Yeah. Well, I mean, 16 years old, that's, I can't even imagine having to make that decision on your own, having just gone through that whole scene, right? Where it's like, you were, your trust was betrayed. Like now you're sorting out those feelings. Now you're sorting out these feelings. Like it's not an easy thing to navigate. And so what, so after you made that decision, I'm sure, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, I feel like when that happens, a certain part of you just has to be turned off, right? In order to be able to cope with that decision and to be able to cope with that, because as much as um, time has gone by, I still, I mean, I think I would still go back to that moment and picture it, right? Like the fact that you're able to remember that lady, which is, it's so crazy to me that instead of giving somebody the tools to be able to thrive, right? That was the the first thing that she went to. And so that's, that's crazy to me. So how did that affect your, your life growing up, like your relationships, the way that you were able to relate even to other teens your age? That really was the downward spiral of my life for the next or for the following, I could say, what, 10 years? Um, Because from that moment, you're right, I wasn't healed. I became very hard of heart. I became very where I self-sabotaged. I also became very, um, I was so broken that all I could do was like be in broken relationships and be in broken situations because I just was longing to fill a gap and a void that could not be filled by anything or anyone else but God. And unfortunately, I didn't have the tools. I didn't know how to go about it. So I did what I could, um, which clearly was not the right way or clearly was not the healthy way. But um, I just remember feeling like I wanted to feel loved. Mm-hmm. And it was so hard because I didn't know how. And I and so um and mind you, like a lot of my family to this day doesn't know. So I don't put any blame on it. They can't be blamed for something they don't know about. You know what I mean? So I just want to make sure that I make that clear. That was a secret that I held on for years. And I had to pretend like nothing ever happened. You know, I had to go back to school. I was in high school. Um, it was a two day procedure and I had to, and, and, and it's painful and, and, you know, it's not normal. And so I remember just having to pretend, pretend like everything was okay. Pretend like nothing ever happened. Pretend. So I just, I didn't know how to cope with it. So clearly I started wilding out, right? Like I just went to this, like, just partied, like partied and did crazy things, you know, um, to try to, like I said, to fill those voids at that time. And I just remember like the biggest thing that I longed for was just to feel love. And that's really what led to the trajectory of such bad relationships, you know, because after that, I got into a relationship with a guy um, who was a little bit, who was a few years older than me at that time. And, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm finally feeling loved. Like I'm finally feeling like I belong. And not short after I got into that relationship, it turned really abusive. You know, he started beating me up. Like he would choke me. He would like beat my, like stop me in my face. Um, I would have like purple, like bruises in my lip, like cut my lip. And I remember that the reason, the way that I was able to even, um, because I mean, it's on my face, right? So I would go to work. I remember working at Western Bagel at that time. And my friends were like, what's what happened to your face? And at that time I had two jobs and I volunteered. I, I worked with kids. So an after school program. And so I'd be like, oh, a kid threw a ball and hit my face. Mm-hmm. So like, I always had the right story. You know what I mean? So people believe me. They're like, oh yeah, I can feel how that can happen. Or at least that's what they would tell me, right? And so, you know, from that relationship, 
clearly it was so hard to get out of because when you're in an abusive relationship, they threaten to not just hurt you, to hurt your family members. And I remember there was times where he would try to come into my house in the middle of the night when my parents were asleep and I had to call the cops. And at one time they had the helic, they sent the helicopter because I was like really afraid for my life. And I'm like, there's this guy outside. I'm afraid for my life. They sent a helicopter. Mind you, like my parents are asleep. They don't even know what's going on at this time. You know, and finally he left when he heard the helicopters. And so, you know, um, one of the things that I, when I finally got the courage to say something, I decided to tell his parents and his mom ended up blaming me for being with him. There's no way. And so I ended up, so I got, so when I had my abortion, I felt betrayed by this medical professional who was supposed to be there and be my advocate. I get in this relationship and it's extremely abusive. And the person that I confide in also betrays me. So I'm left feeling like, okay, what's next? If I can't, if I can't, or if I feel like I'm confiding in these people, like what am I supposed to do when they're not helping, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that you grow up knowing these things are not right. Like you shouldn't be in these situations. And I knew that abuse wasn't right, but I was never given tools on what to do or, or like I was never provided with tools on how to get out of those situations or how to deal with those situations right and so you know after I was done with that relationship finally um I think there was just so much exposure where I was just like you know what like I'm fed up and I remember I would start fighting back I remember I was like okay I'm done like I'm done and I remember that after that relationship my mindset with men changed at that point I was like you know what screw men like I became like this total feminist where I was like (laughs) I'm gonna yeah where I'm gonna be like you know what I don't need a man um I'm gonna do because I just had been betrayed right from the first one to the second one like there was just I did there wasn't a good pattern and so I was just like you know what screw that and it was funny because at that time I ended up meeting this other guy and this guy, just for clarity's sake, I'll just say he was a businessman. He was an entrepreneur. And, you know, he really, really um, changed my life. I mean, this guy, you know, was pro- protected me. He was, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to take care of you. And I'm like, and he knew what this other guy had done. And he was like, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. And he didn't like when I would be like, hey, like this guy is trying to do this or wants to do that. He's like, don't worry about it. Like, he's not going to hurt you. And. And honestly, ever since that other guy came into the picture, like I was, I didn't have to deal with my ex. Um, to this day, I really don't know why. I don't think I need to ask why. But um, needless to say is, um, you know, there was a lot of unresolved issues. And and fast forward a few years later, my ex that abused me ended up working at the same job I was working at. Um, literally like two rows behind me. And honestly, at that point, years had passed and, you know, we did talk and I was just like, dude, you suck. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> you, and, <what? laughs> uh-huh. you know, I, I did have a conversation with him because I needed to let out in a, in a place where I was safe. Right. Cause we were at work, like in, in the lunchroom, like there was people there, like he couldn't act out. And if he did, like that was going to be his demise. Um, you know, we ended up talking and, you know, he did end up apologizing and, you know, that, that, that's history. Wow. That is okay. So how long were you with, um, the helicopter guy? Helicopter? (laughs) Yeah. The one that you call the cops on the abusive one. Oh, um, I was with him for four years. Four years. Wow. Mm -hmm. So it was like, what? Maybe like 16 16 to 20. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, and then the other guy, the entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with him, um, him and I were never anything serious. It was just more like he was my friend. Got it. You know, and um, <laughs> my, my little quotations, he was just a friend. And he was just somebody that really looked out for me. And if I needed anything, and I mean anything, like he was like in my beck and call, all I had to do was pick up the phone, hey, I need this, or hey, I need that. And, you know, he was always, always um, just there. He always provided, he always gave me whatever I needed at that time. And then obviously at that point, I ended up meeting um, the guy that I was supposed to marry. And that I'm was- I'm so intrigued with that. Like, what do you mean by supposed to marry? <laughs> well we're supposed to marry I thought that this was like the, the the guy you know I thought that this was the man that I was going to spend the rest of my life with my life with um because when obviously after I had been hurt right and I was wilding out having my you know partying and, and then I was like okay I think I'm ready to like find a guy that that because at the end of this day I still yearned for love like a part of me always yearned for that love that um that to feel like um like I was being taken care of you know and so I ended up meeting this guy at um, my, my, my sister's um, in-law's house. And, um, and, you know, we hit it off. We hit it off and it just worked because, you know, his family had known my family for years. So it just kind of made sense. You know what I mean? Like my, my family knew him and, we, and, and so they loved him, you know. And so from that point on, it just, we were together for a long time. And he was really young. And uh, I mean, we were both young. We were like 21. Oh, wow. so, you know you, you were young um and he definitely um I know I was like one of his first years girlfriends so uh, I mean they came to the point like we went to marriage counseling you know he was coming to the church and I think I mentioned that before at um in that conversation and so yeah I mean he was I loved him and you know he loved me and we were like okay we're gonna do this and then you know he's like I'm serious about God and I'm like okay well so am I because at that point um, we had already come into the, you know, I was Catholic and I had come into Christianity, but um, it was too much for him, I guess, because he he just, he wasn't about it. So, you know, he ended up walking away. And at that point, you know, I ended up walking away as well. And that also led to just a trajectory of horrible decision-making on my part and also just failed relationship and bad relationships, you know, after one another um, from that point on. Wow. Um, that's, that's intense. Okay. So, um, let me backtrack a little bit and you talk about this time where you became like this feminist and all these things, right? How did that play into this relationship with this other guy that you were supposed to marry? Um, did that affect that in any way? Do you feel like, um, seeing the, and pardon me if I, if this is maybe not kosher, but comparing it to like the healthy relationship that you have with Mike at this moment, right? When you look back here, because now clearly you're not feminist, right? It's not, it's right. you're, clearly not, it's not what you're, you're fighting for. And so how did the feminism play into that relationship and how do you see it in contrast with how you are now with Mike? Yeah, I think it was a lot of me wanting to be in control um in the first relationship the one that I was supposed to be married to supposedly um I think it was a lot of my feminist mindset of like I'm in control it's what I say it's you know I was very unhealthy I was so broken like broken people break people like that's just something I really realized in life and 
I was so broken and I was so unhealed, which is why I'm such an advocate when in the podcast, like heal yourself, because if you don't, you're going to break everybody around you. Um, because that's, that's what you were like, you can only produce after your own kind, you know what I mean? So I was so broken. I was so unhealed. And I was just, I had, I didn't have like um, a manual or I don't, I didn't have the right tools again of what a healthy marriage or healthy relationship looked like. So I was just like on my own. I was like, I made up like my own manual in my head, if that makes sense. (laughs) What I, I, of what I thought and thought of that was like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I hurt you before you hurt me. And that was my mindset for a very long time when it came to men. It's like, okay, I want you close, but not too close um, enough to where I can get what I want out of you before you hurt me. Because I'm going to be the one that hurts you first. And that's just the type of attitude and mindset that I had before I met my husband, you know, Um, because I was so broken, because I was so unhealed. And clearly, that's not the mindset that I have with my husband. (laughs) He'll be quick to check me. (laughs) Um, but just, but just that, you know, that was really, that really played a prominent, um, role in my life. Okay. So, um, when like the moment that before, like you met, you met Mike, like how was, how, how were you during that time? Like months leading up to that wait before, you know, he went up to you at that bar. (laughs) Um, yeah. Yeah. How was that? It was, I was in so many different relationships. Like, it's not even funny. You know, I was, I thought I was on the top of my my top of the world. You know, I went from, you know, left the church again. And I started, you know, hanging around with a lot of business people and just really being in the business game. And, you know, not only just that, just, you know, I I started to, even at that time or a little bit before that, I even worked with one of my cousins who was in the music industry. So, I mean, I, you know, I had, certain people from the music industry calling me wanting to fly me out and you know come here or come take the come on the tour with me and so I really was thought I was living life like you know I helped a lot of you know my friends in the business world and you know I had favors done and you know I remember because even one time in the club um there was a guy that I had helped and I and I think I had helped him like go pick up a car or something one day because I was just such a servant you know even in my even my BC days and I remember him coming up to me and he was like in this VIP area and he like spotted me and I was with my friends and he came down from the VIP area and at that name at that time I had a nickname and he called me by my nickname and I didn't even recognize him and I'm like yeah and he's like do you remember me and I'm like no and he was like you did this xyz he's like you're you're this person's friend and like he knew the people that I hung around with you know and I'm like yeah and he's like, and at that point, when I first helped this guy, he um he just wasn't up there, you know. And and after a few years, he he was really well, he was well known where where we were from. And um he was like, whatever you need, he's like, you let me know. He's like, I owe you. He's like, I'm he's like, I'm in debt to you for the rest of my life. And so when I and he wasn't the first one to tell me that, but I had a few, you know, different people say that. And I, I knew at that moment that brought a, a big fear into me. Because it was short, it was shortly after that that I really was like, I need to get back in with the Lord because I knew that the crowd I was hanging around with and the lifestyle that I was leading was two things were going to happen. I was either going to end up in jail or I was going to end up dead. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not what I want for my life. That's not what I want for my future. 
And even before I, I met Mike, um, there was another guy too that I dated and my family also got to meet him. And he was also like into things and um and that that relationship I think was really the instrument to bringing me back to Christ. Interesting. Because this guy, you know, you would think he had it all. Um, and I remember one day walking in, I was at work and he calls and he's like, I need you to come over right now. He's like, because I'm about to take my life. And I said, okay. So I clearly left work. I walk into his apartment or condo. And I remember um, he had a gun. And I remember there was a lot of just things on his bed. And I looked at him and he was so downcast. And then I knew at that moment that I, this was not the life that I wanted because I had already tasted Christ. Like I had already been to church. I had already been with God and I'm like, you know, money, fame, drugs, all of that stuff. Like it, this leads to death. And at that point I was so, so like just done. And I'm like, this, I just can't. Yeah. You know, I, you would, from the outside in, you would think that, hey, like I'm at the highest, but I was really at the lowest that I had ever been, you know? And I also remember, you know, when, when you hang around with certain people and certain crowds, and, and I'm not saying this to boast or, or anything, but just to let people know that it's what you see is not, it's not really the truth, right? Yeah. And so I remember that the people that I was hanging around with, like I would, they would tell me like, oh, I know where you're at. Like if like, we're taking care of you but we know where you're at I remember one time driving somewhere and I was like at a gas station and then this person called me they're like oh you're in this car at this gas station like and I'm like well how do you like it was the craziest thing right and so so what I'm, I'm trying I guess what I'm trying to say is here I thought that I was being protected right and it was such a counterfeit because it came at a cost mm. and again I feel like in my, like throughout the, my life, like counterfeits have always tried to come and yeah. steal what, what God's position and role was yeah. right from the beginning till the end through my relationships, you know, because I, the, the enemy knew what I longed for. The enemy knew what I craved. The enemy knew how to exploit those broken areas and weaknesses in my life. And so here I am thinking that I'm on the top of the world. Like, you know, I can do, I mean, I could go to clubs, I could get VIP. Like my friends were like living their best lives, like bottle service. I mean, you name it, like we had it, you know? And so here I am thinking this is the life. But I also remember thinking like, I am so broken. I am so broken that none of this is filling the voids that needed to be filled by God. So, you know, when that incident happened with this last guy that I was dating, um, and I and I knew I was like, you know, I remember giving the guy a Bible, that guy a Bible. And he's like, Oh, he was like, I thought you were gonna give me an iPad. I was like, No, dude, I was like, you need I was like, you need he's like, you need Jesus. Um, but I'm saying all that to say that the person you see now came at a price. Yeah. You know, I've gone through hell and high waters. I am not even touching the surface of the things that I've had to see, experience, or be a part of. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm just really thankful to Jesus because it's only through God's redemption yeah. and God's mercy and grace that I can sit here and talk to you guys about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm going to culminate all of these things at, at a point, but uh, because I also want to talk about the abortion part, right? Because I know that that in itself is a whole different 
driving force behind who you are. And so I know that at, at, there is a point where both of those things came together, like the relationships aspect and um, the redemption from that that um, abortion, right? And so um, I want to ask though, because I think it was really interesting that you touched on counterfeits. And one thing that I've been meditating on these past couple of days is, you know, uh, within the line and everything, just being prayerful about what's going on and the people that are going to come to the next event and everything. Like I've just been noticing how even on social media, it's such a such a market for a lack of a better word, you know, people's loneliness. Um, it's such a market. People play on that, you know, as far as like even the reels and everything. And so it's like, okay, well in the vine, like how are we going to differentiate ourselves from that? Because obviously yeah, at some point we want to make it a business, but at the end of the day, like, for example, what we've charged to get in is really just, we're, we're still pouring out of our finances. Right. Yeah. And so, but because the reason for that is we want to marry people to Jesus in a way, right? We want them to experience Christ and all these things. And so I was meditating with the Lord and I was like, Lord, like, why is it, why is there such a battle with this, right? Like, why is it such a, especially now? And so, and the Lord was explaining to me that, you know, love through one another, healthy love is such a reflection of who God is, right? It's God has made us to be people of relationships, people to have that connection with one another. That's really what he desires for us to be able to dwell together. Like there's scripture that talks about unity up and down the Bible. And so um, how do you, how would you speak to a woman right now that is probably in a situation that is not the best, like where they're, they know that they're lowering their standards, maybe not just women, but men as well, where they're lowering their standards and they're putting themselves in a position where, you know, I deserve better than this. But at the same time, like they look at their past and they're like, well, this is what I deserve because this is what I've been through. Like, how would you speak to those people? That's a great question. Um, first and foremost, I could only share my story because one thing that I've realized with people, because I help people in those situations now is that there's nothing that we can necessarily say for them to want to change. Mm -hmm. They have to honestly believe it in their hearts that they are worthy of more. Um, I guess, I, I guess I can take it back. I guess I would really say like, Jesus really does love you. Like Jesus, God, like there is somebody out there that is, that is way better than the person you're with now. Like if you are already feeling that type of way of like, hey, like I think I deserve better. You're probably right. You probably do. And the only person that can get you out of that situation is you. You have the power, you have the opportunity, and you do have the control to be able to be like, you know what? No, let me take myself out of this situation. And honestly, I think that's the best thing that I can say because until somebody is ready to get themselves out of that situation, there's nothing that anybody can do. And I guess the only other second part to that question I would say to them is how can I help you? Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that I've learned with victims that are, are part of sex trafficking or even with the courses that I've taken through various programs is you can't help people unless they want to be helped. And the best way to help them is by asking them, how can I help? Mm -hmm. Because your, your version of wanting to help, that's not, that might be something they're not ready for. Mm -hmm. Right. So Clearly, you have to have an open door of, hey, you know what, I love you enough and I believe in you enough to be willing to help you, but tell me what that looks like for you. Yeah. And in that, I do tell them about who Jesus is, the love of God and how you're not damaged goods, how you're not broken, how there is redemption power. And if you don't believe it, look at me, like, let me tell you how 
my God was able to take me from a place of I should have been in prison or dead to where I'm here now with an amazing marriage and amazing kids. Is my life perfect? No. Is it hard? Every day. But is it worthy? And it can I and is it am, is there joy in it? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and so that's what I would say. I think that's powerful. And and even like adding on to that story, there's so many stories, even in the Bible, right, where it talks about that the women that were like the most despised, like um, there's stories in the Bible where it was like um, a prostitute, like the known prostitute in the freaking land that allowed the Israelites to come in and totally defeat uh, a nation. And so it's like, and that's where that's the lineage that Jesus came from. So it's like the Lord and the women at the well, like there's just so many stories in the Bible of women with um even women that like at one point were barren and the lord all of a sudden like there's just god creates such a story right out of those that have mm-hmm. been rejected and that have been despised and that have been um thrown to the side and he has such a redeeming story and so i completely agree with you when it comes to that and so um yes if anybody needs help once um you know just want to take that first step as always feel free to reach out to us denise's information especially is going to be on the um caption and all that good stuff i remember reading um a book in the bible i think it was hosea and that was one of the stories that really impacted me and really just allowed me to see you know god's love um god's love for 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 women for people you know for for broken people and so um i i guess once once you experience god's love there's just nothing else in this world that can come close to it yeah and so you know my heart and my cry is for those people that do see themselves broken or damaged or not worthy you know to have i pray for that type of encounter so that they can see um that there is that that love that they're yearning for and that they're that they're longing for is out there it's just they have to find it in the right place yes absolutely and there there really is no better no better healing no better option because even the best of marriages um are incomparable to those that are inside of christ right because as we constantly say it's christ that binds you together and he's the one that really teaches us how to love one way or another um okay so now moving backwards to move forward uh so tell me how it was dealing with um the abortion after the fact right so i know during that time it was chaotic i'm sure it was still a whirlwind but how did you cope with that? And how have you dealt with that? Um, you know, I was coming to the church, like in the church, it's such a, it's taboo, you know, most people it don't really talk about it unless they're telling you to stop or trying to prevent you. And so in a lot of ways, I think the world has this idea of Christianity and abortion as far as like uh, critical rather than healing. And so talk to me about that. How has been yes. journey? Um, thank you for asking that because I battled telling this part of my story. It's going to be almost, it's actually going to be 20 years next in January um, since I've had my abortion. And I've had to heal every year looks different. Every year when January comes around, it still hurts. And I, for so long was like, okay, how do I, change the narrative in the church when it comes to abortion and I realized that the only way to do that is to start talking about it 
and start talking about it from a place of, you know, we hear the pro-choice movement. We hear, you know, even in the church, okay, well, we should vote this way. But why don't we hear about the women that had one, have regretted it, and what the redemption story looks like, right? And and the reason that doesn't happen is because there's so much shame still associated with it, you know? Um, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and lie. Like, I'm afraid. I'm, there's still some type of fear, like, okay, when people hear this, what are they going to think of me? What are they going to say? You know, and that was one of the biggest things that I had to really sit down and talk to my husband about. And my husband is amazing, you know, and he was just like, this is your story. Like, who cares if anybody else says like, this is you, like, I have your back, like your past is your past, like your past doesn't dictate the choices that you've made, like your past does not dictate your future, basically. And I said, you know, you're right. And so the way that I healed from it, you know, I've had to do a lot of, um, a lot of journaling I've had to do, you know, even through the resource center that I'm at, like I've taken courses that have been really helpful. Um, you know, even the book from Beauty for Ashes of Not a Victim, like that one was really helpful as well, because every year it's a different layer that you're healing from, you know? Um, I don't, like, I, I can't say that it gets easier because it hasn't. I think every year it's a different type of, of, oh my gosh, this year, imagine if this, you know what I mean? So you're always reliving it. Now, I know God has forgiven me like that. I, I know for a fact, but there's still consequences of my sin. And that is just the reality of it. Um, but um, I'm in a much better place now than I was, you know, 20 years ago. Now I've made it my life mission. And this is the redemption story. And I was like, you know what, Satan, you took my child but I'm going to make it my life mission for no other child on my watch to go down like the way my kid did. And I know it's just like, and I know that's like, Denise, you're, you're crazy. And it's like, you know what I am, but if me saving that, if I can just save one child, like that for me is more than I can ever ask for, you know? And, and honestly, and just working in this, in the resource center that I have, like, I've been helped. I've been able to help in the few, short amount of time that I've been there. I've been able to help women who who have been told abort your kid, and and I'm there fighting with them. Like, no, we're gonna believe for in God, and and so to see the story start to come back full circle for me is honestly one of the best um, things ever. And even in the in the healing process, you know, like I said, every year you heal differently. Every year it looks different. Just recently, um, I'm gonna share a story. Just recently, um, I had told my kids, I said, girls, I said I was driving in the car and I said, Hey, I said, just so you guys know, like mommy ha- you guys have a, like a sis a brother or sister in heaven. Like, and so they were like, what do you mean? And I, was, I was like, oh, before you guys came, mommy had another baby, but the baby's in heaven. And so my kids being my kids, they're like, okay, you know, they're like, oh, mom, was it like a boy or a girl? I said, I don't know. I said, but just know that there's a baby in heaven. And they're like, okay. And they didn't ask much of it. I mean, my kids are seven, five and four right now. So a few weeks had passed. And then, so I looked up, um, I'm going to pull up the scripture that that morning I read and that was, um, and I highlighted it and it was funny because I remember even posting it on my social media. I'm like, this scripture is really speaking to me. And at that point I did had no idea why, but it was first Corinthians 13, 12. And it was saying, now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in the mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. So 
you know, that scripture I posted in the morning and then I'm in the bathroom and my daughter, uh, my middle daughter, super amazing. <laughs> she comes into the restroom and she's like out of nowhere. She's like, mom. And I'm like, yeah, she's like, do you know if you had a, you know, the baby in heaven that you had was a boy or a girl? And I said, I don't know, baby. She's like, mom, I think it was a girl. And I was like, why do you say that? And she's like, well, because um, I saw her and God told me her name and her name is Elena. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I'm, I'm like taken back and I'm like, okay, I sit down and I'm like that name. And I'm like, what does that name mean in the Hebrew? And the name in the Hebrew means God answers. I can. And, I remember and, so, and so, or God answered. And so that moment I, and, and then she's like, mom, can you, I'm hungry. Can you make me a sandwich or serve me cereal? She said something along those lines. And I remember that moment I sat down and I like bawled my eyes out. And this was just this year. I bawled my eyes out. And my husband's, you know, works from home and he's like at the desk trying to work, trying to figure out like, okay, do I step in? Do I just let her have a moment? You know, and obviously I looked at him, he's like, and he was just speechless. And, you know, I was left speechless. And, you know, why do I share that? And the reason is, is, you know, 19 years later, and there's still healing happening from something that happened so long ago. You know, and maybe, and, and, and that's why I'm such an advocate. I'm so passionate about the unborn because I wasn't given that chance. And I want to be able, you know, to give that chance to other people. And another thing that I really want to point out is I never wanted to be in that place of victimhood because right. it's so easy to fall into I'm a victim. And I could have easily fallen into that I'm a victim, right? And I think to some degree I did in the beginning because I did a lot of self-sabotaging because I was from a place of a victim mentality, right? And I realized, because I was always around a lot of people that acted like the victim, is that you never, if when you have that type of mindset, nothing changes um, within yourself. All you do is hurt people because you feel like the world owes you, right? Like you're entitled. And it's like, And once again, I read a scripture and it was in Corinthians and love is patient, love is kind, like love is not self-seeking, like love does not demand. And it's like, don't get me wrong, there should, there's standards, right? God talks about love is patient, love is kind, like what what you deserve. But it also says that it's not self-seeking, like this entitlement. And so I knew um, that I could not be that type of person. And, And so that's why I'm so passionate. That's why I'm like so tough on myself. That's why I'm such a go-getter that's why I'm like you know what like Satan you can throw whatever you want at me and I'm still going to do my best to overcome and not give into the excuses because I can it's so easy to fall in that and even going back to the shame you know um one in four women by the age of 45 have had an abortion seven out of ten women claim to be a Christian from and so the fact that those numbers are so high that I'm sorry I have had abortion seven of them claim Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, seven out of the 10 women that have had abortions claim to be some type of Christian, whether it be a Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, like a um, Catholic, whatever sect, it, uh, but it's, they're, called, they're, they're saying they're Christian. So, you know, for me, that begs the question is, why aren't we talking about it? And it goes back to, we said, the shame. If I do talk about it at church, are people going to still want me to be, can I still volunteer? Can I still be a part of a ministry? You know, can I still do this? And, or can I still do that? And so it's such a taboo and it's so sad because the more that we continue to suppress it and only, or only talk about it in a place of like, hey, let's 
and I'm all for it, right? Like, let's make sure that these bills don't pass. Um, at the end of the day, like the women aren't getting the healing and the men aren't getting the healing that they need. Yes, I completely agree with that. And I think, you know, I think one of the, so what here, two things that I want to say. So when women write the fact that it's such a silent topic in the church, right, that tells me that um, it even brings me back to that whole divorce thing. what she kind of told me that she didn't want to talk about it because, you know, how it was going to be received. But at the end of the day, I feel like there's a lot of people in leadership that know how to recite the Bible, but they don't really know how to apply it, right? Because in one way, they're going to be praising these Hoseas, they're going to be praising the Hagars, they're going to be the Ray, like the Rahabs, um, the woman at the well, like they count, they tell these stories every Sunday from the pulpit, and they talk about God saving grace, but when they have the ability to say, to literally play that story out in their churches, it becomes like this whole weird thing. And of course, we're not saying like, oh, go get an abortion. Like there's forgiveness. Uh, like we're not advocating for that, right? Because um, no. yeah, that's that's not that's not what we're doing here. But we understand like we all have a past, right? We all have a sin. Right. So I, you know, for some reason, I think part of the reason why a lot of women are not talking about it either is because I feel like a lot of, a lot of them are, in this place of receiving God's wrath. And um and and I am careful in using the word wrath and I'm and I'm selective with that because I feel like um that feels like the only punishment that I think women can deal with, which is you know, we I'm just I'm trying to be careful in how I say this. So because that shame comes in, right? And so when you're filled with shame, like you want the worst possible punishment so that you can right. be okay with living in that victimhood and everything but what one thing that is so hard for me to even digest with God right because it's okay when God forgives you of your sin but when you look at other people's sin and it looks atrocious like something that you would never commit but then God still also forgives that that to me is a whole different playing field right because we we put God in this box but you know, we read Paul and Paul was a murderer. Like he was literally persecuting like Christians. He was killing them in day in, day out. Like he was doing the most in order to get them killed. And we read in the Old Testament that people that had a vendetta against God's people, like God would like, you're dead. You know what I mean? Like he wouldn't mess around with that. But here we are in the New Testament and Christ has come. And all of a sudden there's redemption for this man that in the Old Testament would have been killed. Like with no ifs, ands, and buts. And so what do you like how did you find forgiveness for yourself like how did you come to a place where it's like you know first forgive me because it's even in the bible we talked about it in the podcast that god says in order for us to be able to receive forgiveness we have to first forgive and so that tells me that you had to forgive yourself first before you could uh, receive god's forgiveness and so how did you navigate through that that's actually a really great question and um if, if from what i recall i i remember that the forgiveness first had to start with me forgiving my offender, right? I, and honestly, it was easier for me to forgive my offender than to forgive myself. Interesting. Um, very, very much so. And, but nonetheless, um, I was, I had, I came to a place of forgiving myself after um, I first repented because I had to repent. I, in the beginning, when I first got my, my abortion, I knew that I was wrong, right? Okay. But 
at that moment I was I was I was so twisted like I was like oh my gosh like my parents are gonna find out like I'm not gonna get in trouble like that's where my mindset was you know and then once I really realized the magnitude of what's and this is what's crazy about the pro-choice movement is that they desensitize you to the reality of what you're doing yeah and so and, and it's like people perish because of lack of knowledge right so you become so desensitized that you don't think you're doing anything wrong but your your spirit man really does know and so it, so for me to be like oh i knew something like i repented right away like no because in the beginning like i i knew it was wrong but i didn't know the severity of it because i was told otherwise right and once i really came to the understanding of what had happened that's when I was like truly repentant. And that's when I, was, I cried out to God and I was like, I am so sorry. Um, and not just saying sorry, but what am I going to do different, right? What does that look like? And so for me, obviously, that's when I was like, okay, you know, um, forgive myself. I, I did, I, I had to verbalize and even write to myself. I remember it came maybe like, I want to say maybe 10 years after I did it, that I had to write a letter. And in that letter, I wrote, you know, to the baby, I wrote to myself, and I had to forgive everybody, you know, the nurse, the person who did this to me, to myself. And, um, and it's funny, because they say that you should burn the letter, but I actually never burnt it, I felt like I needed to keep it. And so it's still in my drawer. But in that place, you know, um, that's when I was able to finally understand, like, okay, I do need to forgive myself. And once I did do that, there was obviously the freedom and God's love being able to come and, and, you know, just help mend it. But it also came with, okay, what am I going to do different? What am I going to do to not prove to God that I'm sorry, right? Because God doesn't need that. But what am I going to do different? What am I going to do to make sure that the enemy doesn't grab another soul? And that for me is clearly what turned around to being very active in this movement. But um, it's, it hasn't been easy. You know, there's, when I had my kids, when I had my first daughter, you know, there was a lot of forgiveness that had to happen again with me because that just triggered a lot of different things, you know? And one of the things that people don't know about, you know, I know I've shared in the podcast when I said, you know, it, I, it was hard for me to have kids. I was told I couldn't. Well, that was because when you get an abortion and procedure, that messes your body up. And so I had scar tissue. I was never the same. So that is another piece of like, I was never going to be able to have kids because there was so much trauma that had happened to my uterus, to my ovaries, to my body, undergoing that medical procedure, which at that point, I was like, okay, I'm never going to have kids because clearly, like, I deserve it. Like I, you know, so for me to say God gave me kids, like, it's a miracle because there was supernatural healing that happened to my body for me to be able to have kids and 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 I know some people sometimes don't grab that but I think now that they have a fuller picture they maybe might see the the miracle behind that right and the fact that you're able to parent out of a place of triumph not out of a place of of guilt right because there is a lot of guilty parenting out there where it's like you know um which is exactly what what that is guilty parenting where it's like you parent from your wounds rather than parenting from your healing and from your victory. And so uh, I know that the girls are such testament. And uh, one of the things that we talk about constantly, and I, it's like the fact that God uses them to bring you healing, where I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of people would, and I think it happens often where people look at their children that they've had after as like a constant 
reminder, negative reminder of what they could have had, right? And so, um, and I know that comes with time and that comes with process right. because I, I can't, I me never have been in that position. Like I can't pretend like I know what that's like. And I think that that would be very disrespectful for me to even remotely try to, but I, I've heard stories and I've had dialogue. So to me, it's just, it's so wonderful to um, serve a God that really allows for that kind of healing, you know what I mean? And allows for that kind of redemption and that kind of story to be turned around where it talks about in Romans where God uses everything for the good of those who love him. And so what the enemy intended for harm, it's like, it's not that it wasn't horrific and that it's not that it wasn't a thing, but God can come in and turn a beautiful story out of that place of horror. Of horror right and so yeah um before we start ending it before I ask you the last question um what is something that is there something that you would like to add that you want to talk about is like how do how would you suggest churches to start addressing this like I just feel like we could go so many different routes but what do you have in your heart yeah there's so much I think we need to just um start talking about it and and it's and it's really tricky because I never want to sit there and condone abortion right um that's not my heart because clearly when i had mine i was 15 like i wasn't even walking in my christian walk but i also know that there's women that are christians that have had one so there's like this really fine line you know and and i know this to be fact regardless of how anybody feels that when you have a repentant heart god forgives yes. but a repentant heart means that there's a turnaround that there's a change there's a heart change there's a mind change there's action change and so so with that being said i think that um the church as a church as a church we need to start talking about it in the sense of hey like if you've had one you know um there's there's programs there's resources there's things that you can talk about because a lot of the times like you said like that's if people are not able to heal from that that's unresolved trauma that ends up affecting not only their relationships ends up affecting their kids and then you get into this cycle right of just of endless trauma of self-sabotage, of anger, of resentment, of hate, self-hate. I mean, it's, I, and the list goes on and on and on. So for me, you know, I think the first step is talking about it to remove that taboo of it. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and I think from that place, there can be healing. And I think from that place, there's honor. And I think from that place, we can even really launch and, and get the pro-life movement to be what it needs to be because it has to start with the church. But if the church is afraid to talk about it, and only talks about vote this way. Okay, well, and think about it. If women that have had abortions are in the church and you're just told to vote this way without really feeling what's happening, like you're talking to like a wall, you know? And and, and so we're just, we're missing a, a strong component. And that is being able to have discussion, being able to start like a group, being able to just get the tools into the right hand so that these women can, or, and men, because men are also, a big part of it, you know, get them healed to where they're now, you know, this movement can launch further. Um, You've touched on the men part a couple of times and I keep meaning to want to dive into that a little bit. So um, working with the resource center that you're working in and all these things, I'm sure you've probably met men that have been impacted by that decision or how would you speak to men that have dealt with that, that have either I feel like again there's so many different veins that I can go down that down that route but what would you say when it comes to that to the men um speak up speak up because a lot of um a lot of the women 
that are deciding between keeping a baby or not, when the man speaks up and says, hey, like I'm willing to help or I'm willing to do this X, Y, and Z, from my experience, most of the time, the women will decide to keep their baby because they feel like they have a support. And so I would say that their voice matters. And and I'm just talking to the, about the men that clearly um, I, I met with or, or been a part of, but you know, um, unfortunately, a lot of the women have abortions because there is no man in the picture. And so that's also sad, but that also goes back to, you know, I mean, you know me, like there's another whole bunny troll we can go about that with the nuclear family and men being men. And, and I think that's why I'm so huge. And my husband and I really try hard to um, help that nuclear mindset, right? To help these young men become men, because at the end of the day, like, we can avoid getting into this resource center. We can avoid women being in this position if we deal with these root issues first, right? So we try to definitely try to, it, there's so much to it, but um, I think for me is, you know, the, the, man, the man voice does matter. Like you, you have a voice, use it. And, you know, I know that there's probably men out there that are listening that have maybe encouraged, you know, their girlfriend, wife or whoever, to have an abortion and you know one also redemption is there for you like if you have a repentant heart um know that god's mercy and forgiveness is there for you and you are able to even turn your life around also like it's this is not just subject to a woman this is also subject to a man and you know one of the things that i didn't touch on and i think this applies to both men and women is that a lot of the times you know these men and women that come in and, and want to have an abortion a lot of the times the reason behind it is fear, mm-hmm. fear of the unknown, fear of what, what am I going to do? How am I going to be able to do this? I'm not going to, and I know for me, that was the big case was fear. It was driven by fear. And so a lot of these motives are driven by fear. And so, you know, I would say to these women, they're men that are even thinking about it is that there is something bigger than fear out there that, um, that is the reality. And that is that it, I mean, yes, it's probably going to be hard. I'm not going to sit here and lie, but there is different options. There's different ways to go about it. There's different, you don't have to end somebody's life over fear. And I think that if you face that fear head on, that you'll realize that the outcome of facing that fear head on is worth a million times more than ending that child and then ending that child's life. And I also know that with men, you know, because men are such providers that there's that fear of I'm not able to provide, I'm not mentally, I'm not emotionally, I'm not this or that ready. And at the end of the day, irregardless, children are a blessing. Like the Bible says children are a blessing and you might not have it all figured out. Nobody ever does. But I can promise you that if, you know, when you do decide or you should decide to keep that child that there is one, you can always do the adoption route um, to there's a lot of resources and tools out there now that can help you, right? You know, um, help you get on your feet, help you with the doubts, help you with whatever feelings you might be feeling or whatever thoughts or whatever problems you may be foreshadowing. Like we are, we live in an era where there's literally resources and tools at your fingertips. There is a lot more options out there than what you're being told. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that even just highlights another need, right? Where it's like, we need men to even talk about that among men. It's like, how can you help build each other up in that area? But also there has to be somebody to come along and be like, hey, I need help. You know what I mean? Because it's just, we all need help. (laughs) 
Okay. Um, so as we close it up, I want to ask um a question that just came to me as we were kind of just going through the outline here was, you know, you what would you say to Denise back at that age, 15, 16, knowing what you know now? Um honestly, don't fall for the counterfeit. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, I, and, and it's easier said than done because I'm been in this Christian walk for almost 10 years and counterfeits never stop. Yeah. You know, and so I would definitely say don't fall for the counterfeit. Um, you're not damaged goods, like you're worthy. You definitely deserve the best. And, um, you know, work on yourself, work on you. Yeah. I would say really work and heal yourself because broken people break people. Oof. So good. All right. Well, Denise, thank you so much for opening up. I feel like I got the exclusive here. <laughs> um, no, but wholeheartedly, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I know that it's going to bless a lot, a lot of people. That's definitely my prayer Um, for people to find healing, to, for people to find comfort. And so, um, as always to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any feedback or you have any questions, um, you know, send them in, send them in. We'll be more than happy to, um, answer those questions, whether anonymously, privately, whatever the case may be. Um, and we'll have Denise, as I mentioned before, we'll have Denise's link, um, on the bottom of the page and yeah, you know, that's it. Tune in this Thursday to In the Vine Dating Podcast so that we can digest this interview and kind of just go back on it. And as always, pray for your single friends because <laughs> it is hard out here. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode or we answered any of your questions or you have a question that you would like to be discussed in future episodes, let us know in the comments or share on social media. You may also email us at inthevine.dating at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website for more information about our upcoming events on inthevinedating.com. And be sure to hit subscribe so you won't miss out on the amazing content and guests we have lined up for you. Shalom and God bless.